So if you would turn with me in your Bibles to a few portions of Scripture this morning. Um, and I just want to talk about, this is just the second part. And I don't know if this is going to be a third part or not. We'll see if the Lord gives it. But uh, just something that I've been meditating on about the good hand of God. The good hand of God. And last week, I just want to review a couple things that we said last week. If you, so just bring back to um, remembrance what we, what we discussed. And it's funny because Pastor Schaller preached that message in Baltimore about the leper coming to Jesus and saying, if you will, you can. And Jesus said, what? I will. And this is, what, this, is what, this is the point that he said, is that when we pray to God to answer prayer, um, it is common for us to say, your will be done, right? How many of us have ever prayed that prayer? Like, okay, your will be done. Because we don't want to be the person that's presuming or pushing God or as if God, you know, was frail enough to be pushed by us. But he says, you know, we say, your will be done. And then there's that fork in the road. There's this fork in the road. Either God will do it or God will not do it. You're right. And because the natural man is so guilt ridden, it is easy to secretly gravitate in our minds toward God will probably not do it. Right. And we just default to that. Right. We just default to that. Like, OK, God's not going to do it. I'm not good enough. You know, I failed 20 minutes ago or, or you know, we just we disqualify ourselves because the natural man is not living in the in the gospel. And so um and there's just four things we mentioned last week. We live in a world that functions under the curse of Adam. Um, by the sweat of your brow, the land will bear fruit. And that's how we live our life. That's, how we, that's what we bring into our relationships if we're not quickened in the goodness of God. And the second thing is the devil has capitalized on that curse and has created a caste system that is a merit-based system in every level of society. The haves and the have-nots. And then the third thing that we said last, last week is that in God's economy, in the kingdom, nothing works by the energy of the flesh. And things that we do in the energy of the flesh are what? What are they called? Robert said it a couple weeks ago. I said it last week. What is it called? It's just, what is it? Dead works, right? Think, things that we do but are just dead. They can't reproduce. There's no fruit. There's no power. And therefore, the flesh profits nothing in, in John six sixty three. Therefore, we have no confidence in it. We have no confidence in our flesh. And that's Philippians 3, verse 3. Paul said to the Philippians, I have no confidence. We have no confidence. We are not of the people that have confidence in the flesh. And I think the sooner that we learn that, I don't know. When I was a young Christian, I used to hear people get up and just say, hey, you know, I just don't have any confidence in my flesh. And I used to interpret that as, well, they just have a poor self-image or, you know, they just don't have much confidence or they're just kind of beaten down in their life. But I think God does in a systematic way in his plan breaks our addiction to the, to the, to the confidence that we have in our own flesh. And then the fourth thing that we said is that, and I love this, grace gives God the most glory. More than anything else, it stops us from trying to produce by the old way under Adam. And exhorts us just to believe, right? What Pastor Jerry just said, just to believe. Ephesians 1, 6, and that is to the praise of the glory of his grace. Peter asked Jesus, he said, what must we do that we might do the works of God? Great question, huh? I ask, we ask ourselves that question all the time. God, what can I do to please you? And what does Jesus, what does Jesus respond? How does he, okay, go and do this. Go, go plant a church. Go into villages, preach. No, he said, he didn't say go heal somebody. 
He said, just believe on me whom God has sent. And I think if that is our goal as a Christian, before we get out of bed in the morning, like, God, I just want to believe you. I just yes. want to believe you. I want, to, I want you to put your yoke upon me, and I want to believe you. Then we are giving God the maximum glory. And that's Ephesians 1.6, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Uh, this morning, I just want to say three things according to uh, along the lines of this topic what does mountain moving faith look like <laughs> what does that look like you know what does mountain mountain you know moving faith look like number two what does it look like to trust our own strength what does that look like to trust our own flesh number three what is the good hand of the lord what is the good hand of the lord so what is true faith look like what is mountain moving faith Martin Luther said this. He said, this is truth faith, a living confidence in the goodness of God. Isn't that great? That's true faith. Living, a living confidence in the goodness of God. I think personally for me, that's the hardest thing to believe is that God is good. That's really hard for me to believe because there's so many reasons the world points to us that God is not a good God. We hear it on TV. We hear it in the news. We hear it, we hear it among people. We hear people say, Life is not good to me. I've had bad things happen to me. Um, in the plan of God, good things have not happened to me. I want to go through a, a bunch of verses with you and just kind of keep up with me. But if, uh, Exodus 33, verses 18 and 19. You don't need to turn there. But let me read this to you. And I don't know why I never saw this, but I just saw it this morning for the first time. Moses said, please show me your glory. Right? Show me your glory, right? God, show me your glory. I want to see your glory. And what does God say? I will make all my goodness pass before you. Isn't that great? I want to see glory. What does God show Moses? Goodness. <laughs> Passes on before him. And I think that there are many times in our life where we're just like, God, I just need to see your glory. I need to see your power. I need to see something change. I need a breakthrough. I need to see, and this is something that I pray every morning, but God, a breakthrough. Just give me a breakthrough, a breakthrough in the atmosphere, breakthrough in this area, in this area. And what does God say? I'm going to make my goodness go before you. And I love that because wherever we go, the goodness of God has already been there. Whatever situation we come to, whatever news that we get, whatever unforeseen event happens to us, whatever scary thing happens to us, whatever fear or temptation comes our way, the goodness of God has already been there. And if we look carefully, we can see the footprint of God's goodness there waiting for us. Isn't that beautiful? Luke 12, verse 32. Luke 12, 32. It says this, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Love that. Fear not, little flock. I don't know, sometimes I feel like that flock. Do you feel like that flock sometimes? Luke 12, 32. You feel like the little flock, like you're just this helpless sheep, you know, wandering around, you're lost, and you're just, you know, on a precipice. You don't even know where you are and what's going on. And we just cry out to God, like, God, just, you know. And the response is that tender voice of Christ in Luke 12, 32. Fear not, little flock, <clears throat> for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I think that's good because I think as a, as a husband or as a parent or someone in business or whatever place you are in, I think sometimes we really desire to see the kingdom of God get established in what we do. You know, I want the kingdom of God to be established in this church, to be established in Magnolia, to be established in our neighborhoods, God. And I, 
Lord, would you do this? You know, and and we pray, and then the the the, the spirit of Christ is don't fear, don't fear, little flock. It's your God, it's your Father's good pleasure. It's God's good pleasure to establish the kingdom in your life. It's his good pleasure. It's not like something you got to twist God's hand to do. Like, God, could you do this? Please, please, please. My son is learning how to use the word please. So now he's like, he begs me, you know, like, you know, when I say no, and he's, he goes, please, 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 please. <laughs> and it's like, you know, so, okay, Caleb, you're not supposed to use it that way. Just, you know, and we don't have to beg God because it's God's good pleasure. He's like, I'm waiting to do this. I'm waiting to establish my kingdom in, in your life, in your, what you're doing. How about Psalm 27, verse 13? I believe, I looked this, I, I declared this this morning. I just declared it in my heart early this morning. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord. Okay, there's that fork in the road. We could go either way. God could do this or God could do this, right? And instead of defaulting in my natural mind to, oh, God, I'll probably not do it because I'm guilt-ridden. There's all these reasons. I want to declare, I want to declare, I want to declare, I believe I shall see the goodness of God, not in the land of the dead, but in the land of the living. Yes. I want to see the goodness of God in the, in the land of the good, in, in, the, in the land of the living. And so the point I want to make here with this first point is, what does mountain-moving faith look like? It's basically this. The wisdom of God is simply trusting in his goodness. The wisdom of the world, my wife and I were talking about this when she first got saved, came into just a place of discipleship, and she was, um, you know, she was just taking steps in her, of life in her faith, and people just kind of mocked her seemingly naivety of faith. And, um, and I, don't, I think we've all felt that way when we're trusting God for something and we feel mocked. We feel like, okay, you know, we feel that people maybe that are more educated or more talented or more adept or more successful can look at us and say, you know, that's a bit naive. I mean, that's a little, I mean, you're young, you're zealous, you know, you don't know everything yet. And, um, but you know something, that's the wisdom of God, not being educated in the broken world that we live in. Like Romans chapter 16 says this, be simple to what that is, to which that is, uh, yeah, to which that is evil. Be simple about it. I said, that's evil. And we don't need to dig sometimes all this conspiracy stuff and all this gross stuff on YouTube. We can watch it and just dig into all this dirt. And why do we need to be educated about that? We don't need to. Romans 16, just be simple about it. Okay, that's evil. Bam. Let's, and then it says, but be, in the Greek, it says, be educated about that which is good. Be, just grow in that. Grow in the goodness of God. Grow, be educated Fill your mind with the, with, with the goodness and the, and the wisdom and the, and the glory of God. You know, our emotions are going to respond to what, are the, what is the content of our thinking. Mm. Our emotions are built to be responders. They, they can't think. They don't have, your emotions don't have the capacity to think. Our emotions don't have the capacity to analyze. Our, our emotions don't have the capacity to understand or discern our emotions really don't know much. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a little child that, that, that is only living in the moment. I tell Caleb, like, okay, Caleb, we'll do that, but later today. But he's living in the now constantly, you know? And it's like, you know, when you say, we'll do that in an hour, we'll go swimming in an hour. For him, that means no, never. We're never going to go swimming. <laughs> it's like, I think that when, 
When we live with good, right content in our minds about the way God thinks and the way God, who God is, then that's going to create healthy thinking. And then our emotions are going to eventually respond to healthy thinking. I think if someone, when, when we suffer from emotional, damaged emotions, or when there's something broken inside of our emotions, and we don't understand the, why we feel the way we do, we don't understand why we have these feelings in these certain times or these certain places, um, we don't understand that. And, and it's okay if you don't understand yourself. We're not really supposed to, and I don't really want to understand myself. I know that God knows me deeper and that God knows what, what, what is broken inside of me. I think when we, when we don't really know what to do with broken emotions, start thinking on the goodness of God. Start meditating in Psalm 139. I will, I will meditate on your thoughts, for your thoughts towards me are good. Start, start thinking about the goodness of God. Start thinking about the promises of God. You know, the promises of God, the Apostle Peter said, delivers us from the lust and the co- corruption that's in this world. That's what, I mean, if you and I don't live in the promises of the goodness of God, then there's going to be fainting in our life, and there's just going to be this brokenness. There's going to be this erosion of our soul. And then we, are start, we start living in the wisdom of the world. It's okay to be a bit naive about things. I just want to believe God, that God's going to be faithful, that God's going to, that God's going to bring me through, and that he's going to do what he said that he was going to do. Otherwise, we just live in this arrogant, sophisticated, know-it-all type of attitude as a Christian. And as a Christian, I could be that way. I mean, we could become cynical. You know what cynical cynicism means? Cynicism means that when I look at something pure, lovely, like, Philippians 4 verse 8 when we look at something like that we think there must be something bad about it there's something in there it's like you know I think certain careers and certain jobs like as a pastor or even in law enforcement or or whatever we do like counseling or whatever we do the longer we live the more we just it's harder for us to believe that something's pure and then something's good and then we can trust it and I think that cynicism is when I just, I just lose sight of the pure goodness of God in, in my life and that, that God's plan has something good. And, and, and so the wisdom of God is, is first pure and peaceable, right? It's gentle. The second thing I want to just mention this morning is when we choose not to trust in the goodness of God, we resort to trusting in the strength of our flesh. Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 17 for a minute. Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes his flesh his strength. And as a Christian, we have been delivered from the power of the curse. This is Jeremiah 17, verse 5. You know, as a Christian, we are no longer under the curse. You know, that's why someone, that's why uh, I remember when we lived in Ukraine, um, we were doing some evangelism in the center of Lviv, and this woman came up, this young lady came up to us, and she goes, who are you people? I said, well, we're just, you know, we're Christians, we're just sharing Christ. And she said, well, I don't understand, because my spells are not working on you guys. I'm casting curses on you, and Nothing's happening. And I said, well, that doesn't work because we're Christians. We've got the Holy Spirit in us. And, and she got saved. It's like as a believer, 
Um, I understand that there's teaching on generational curses, but I believe as a Christian, we don't need, we don't, we're not under that. And if someone could say, well, that's generational, that's DNA, that's this, that, it's like, no, we, we don't have to live under that curse because we are, we are born again. And, but like as a Christian, I can live in the energy, I can live trusting my flesh and saying, I got this. But then I, get, then I begin to live in a, I live in a, in a, in a system and an economy and a, and a way of thinking and living that is just, it's not blessed. It's just cursed. And, and it says here, um, there's, I, I read, there's five things like in these verses. I'll read verse six as well. Um, let me ver- finish verse five. Um, Whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt lands. And there's five things here that we can that we can see about a person who or when we trust in man or when we put our trust in our own flesh. Number one, we live under a curse that has already been lifted. We're just living under this curse by the fruit of your labor. You shall produce until things change, you know, and it's like I think that if we you know, that's the first thing. Number two, our heart turns away from the Lord. And what is that? That's called deception, isn't it? It's like, you know what? I got this. You know what, God? Look, if you don't answer, I got a plan B going on here. You know, like, um, I've prayed those prayers. Like, Lord, could you just do this? And in the back of mind, I'm thinking, you know, if he doesn't do that, we can do this. And actually, I kind of hope that God doesn't do that because I want to do this. <laughs> you know, I've prayed that way, you know? And that's like, you know, th- and that's deception because when we start trusting ourselves and say, you know what? My heart is, my heart is, is basically good. You know, I start thinking like, you know, I'm a good person or... She's a, or he's a good person. I can trust him. You know, they, but, you know, we forget that in Romans, in Jeremiah 17, the same chapter there, just a couple of verses later, that our heart is deceitfully wicked. And that left to, our, left to ourselves, you know, our heart will deceive us. And so the worst thing that we could ever tell somebody is to follow their heart. Oh, just follow your heart. You know, just dig, dig, dig deep inside and you'll find that good part of you and just follow that because you're, basically a good person no <laughs> we're, we're broken we're fallen and we needed to be saved and we need a savior to deliver us every moment of the day number three the third thing that happens when we trust in ourself and 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 we and our heart turns away from the lord is that we are become we become isolated we just begin to experience isolation in our life we're just alone in the desert you know and i know what that feels like number four we don't see the blessing the good thing when it comes. You ever been a place where life is so good and then all I'm doing is complaining? Wow. You know, like, you know, like I remember we bought this house, we live in this house and it's just, we've never lived in a house like this before and it's just wonderful, it's beautiful. And then after a while, you just start complaining about stuff, you know? And then you're just like, wait a minute, like look at the way, the, look at what the Lord has blessed us with or the people that are around us, you know? Or, or, or our spouse or our friends or the life that we get get to live because when we when we live in the when we live trusting our flesh like thinking I got this I'm going to do things the way I think is right um, and Proverbs 16 says that that always leads to death that always leads to when I stop trusting the goodness of God my default is going to be I got this I'm going to do it myself and it always ends up where I don't see the blessing when it comes the good thing comes and we're all rejoicing and I mean, everybody's rejoicing and we're just miserable because, like, it's not going the way we want it. And then number five, um, 
we just start to die of spiritual thirst. We just get thirsty. You know, we just get thirsty and we're, you know, like, like David said, that my, that my soul thirsts for the living God, you know, thirst. And so deception is when we believe that the world has something better to give than God's plan. You know, if you're single, the world's always going to be, you know, always projecting at you stuff like, hey, this is the way you got to live. This, these are the apps that you got to have on your phone. This is what you got to be doing. This is the way you got to live. This is what you got to be doing on Friday nights, Saturday nights. Or you're not going to be happy. And I think if we stop believing that God's going to be good and that God's going to give the perfect thing for me, then we begin to drift into this thing. Okay, what's the world? What has the world got? But we always forget. We always forget this, is that what happens in the world, like there's these tentacles that just go into your soul and grab a hold of stuff in your soul. And so it's like, it just, you know, there are these, these chains and in like this liberty that the world talks about. I mean, the world says, hey, just, you know, I was talking to somebody. I was in an off when I was working in an office a while back. You know, there was these single people and they were saying like this one married person was saying to the single person. They weren't, you know, they didn't even know God. They weren't saved. I don't even know where they were at. They said, you know, you got it so good. You're single. You can do what you want. You can live the way you want. You can go out, you know, and it's just live like the way you want. And. And it's like, that's not true. Because if when we do that, the world begins, it's, you know, it's, its claws get into our soul. And we begin to live in this form of bondage. But the, but the goodness of God blesses us with no strings attached. You know, like when, you, when, you, when, when an opportunity comes on the horizon in your life as a believer, we always want to use discernment because the, because the devil can prop propose blessings to a person too, right? The devil can try to bless somebody, but those blessings are always going to come with strings attached, with small print on the bottom of the contract. And you're and and it's never it, there's not never that liberty that that is promised. And so um sovereignty, the sovereignty of God is a tree of life that's deeply rooted in God's goodness. Sovereignty of God is a tree of life that is deeply rooted in God's goodness. And we read that in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. My thoughts towards you are thoughts of peace and not of evil. God's not thinking evil about you today, right? He's not thinking evil about you. He's not thinking bad thoughts in heaven about you. You know, I don't know what kind of experience some of us had in different churches. And maybe you've, experienced, you've been in a place where somebody sought evil of you in a church or in a, in a religious, in a, in a Christian circle. But you know something? God's not thinking evil of you today. God's thinking thoughts of peace. He's at peace about your plan, his plan for your life. He's not worried. We fret. We just, we just get so psyched out because, you know, we're, we, we take our eyes for a moment off the goodness of God. And, and, and we start thinking, God's not for me. God's not for me. The last point I want to make here this morning is about the good hand of the Lord. And, you know, this is, you know, my wife's not here, so I can talk about her. <laughs> you know, this is like, no, I'm just joking, by the way. I cannot. No, thank you, Michael, for catching me on that. Um, when I first met my wife, um, we were in Poland, and she was in our school. And um, she, I got a verse. God gave me this verse. And, and it's, you know, when you're, when you're single... And you, have, you see the opportunity to date somebody. You're just processing a lot of things, right? And I was just kind of processing, thinking. And, and God gave me this verse. He gave me this verse about the good hand of the Lord that was upon Ezra and Nehemiah. 
And I just thought, you know, like everything about the plan of God, when we wait on God, his good hand is on it. And it's a blessing. And I, I bear with me, guys, and, I, and it's not going to take long. But if you look at Ezra and Nehemiah, these two books, um, there's a re- recurring phrase in there that just blesses me so much. And by the way, remember that the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, they were one book at one point. It was the, the Catholic Vulgate. It was like the, it was the Catholic Bible that separated those two books and made the book of Ezra and the book of Nehemiah. So when you read Ezra and Nehemiah as one book, um, it, there's this beautiful flow about this one theme about the good hand of the Lord. And let's look at this. I, <clears throat> um, if you want to follow with me, I'm going to be in Ezra. I'm just going to, I'm going to quickly go through Ezra and Nehemiah. If you don't have that or if you don't know where the book of Ezra is, then just follow me and I'll, I'll read it. Okay, Ezra 7, verse 6. By the way, remember, we said this last week, Ezra was the man that um, God raised up. He was a priest in Babylon, a Jewish priest that was led by God to go uh, back to Jerusalem and to begin to pastor people, to pastor people. Zerubbabel was the first guy. He came and he began, and remember that all of Israel was in Babylon. They were in captivity. They were under chastisement by God on a national ethnic level, which is very interesting. And they were not, they were, they were not able to live in their own homeland. And Jerusalem at that time was this burned ruin everywhere. It was just a ruin. Walls were broken down. Things were on fire. Uh, the, the temple had been ransacked. All the, all the gold and the beautiful things in the house of the Lord had been taken and carried off to Babylon. And so Zerubbabel, which, is, which we read about in the book of Zephaniah and Zechariah, is a man, he is, he's the first guy that God sends from Babylon to Jerusalem. And what does he do? He's the guy who begins to set up. He doesn't worry about the walls. He doesn't worry about the buildings. The first thing he does is, is let's start worshiping God. This is what he, he sets up the, the ceremonies of, of the tabernacle, and he begins, to, he begins to worship God. I think any time that we want to rebuild something, we always begin with worship. Then Ezra comes on the scene. He's the guy who comes and begins to pastor people. After worship, there's this pastoring and ministry and building people up and, and, and speaking into people's lives about the goodness of God. And then Nehemiah comes along, and his job at the end is, let's build the walls. Let's build protection. Protection is the last thing that God does. <laughs> First worship, then, being, then receiving a ministry, being pastored in our soul by a man of God. And then protection comes. Then the hedge comes. I think I would start off with the hedge. Okay, let's build a wall around this place so that we can be safe, so that we can freely worship, and so that we can freely pastor people. And so let, listen to these verses, Ezra 7, verse 6. So... Yeah, Ezra went up from Babylon. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the the God of Israel had given. And the king, the Babylonian king, granted him all that he asked for the hand of the Lord was upon him. Isn't that amazing? The hand of the the Lord was on Ezra. The hand of the Lord was on Ezra. Here's the second verse. Verse 9 of the same chapter. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylon and on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem, and the good hand of his God was on him. Yes. Beautiful, isn't it? He came to Jerusalem. He was, that was his target. That was his goal. And God's hand, good hand, was upon him. Here's a third instance. Verse 28 of the same chapter, Ezra 7. 
and who extended to me his steadfast love before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty officers, I took courage. Listen to this. I took courage for the hand of the Lord my God was on me and I gathered leading men from Israel to go with me. You know something? When we know God's hand is on us, when we live in that truth and positional truth that we are in Christ, people are going to follow. People are going to follow. People are going to be is going to be attracted to the goodness of God. In Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Here's, um, here's, verse, um, here's verse 18 of chapter 8 of Ezra, the next chapter. Ezra 8, verse 18. And by the good hand of our God on us, they brought us a man of discernment of the sons of Mali, the son of Levi, son of Israel, namely Sherebiah and his sons and kinsmen. By the good hand of our Lord, God brings people to support the work. By the good hand of God. You're seeing the, you, are you seeing the, the theme here? In a desolate place, people coming out of chastisement, kind of beaten down, really no, they're just in a broken place. God has to continually, systematically remind them of the good hand of the Lord. Ezra 8, verse 31, just a couple... Okay, I, I missed one. 22, thank you, thank you. I got a hold of my notes here, man. For I was ashamed, okay, Ezra 8, verse 22. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way. Since we had told the king, the hand of our God is good, is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all who forsake him. You know something? Seeking God. We can see the good hand of God. Verse 22. I was ashamed to ask the king. That embarrassment sometimes that we feel, that intimidation. Verse 31 of Ezra 8. Then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes by the way. Here's another one. Then we start, and then we skip into the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1, verse 10. For they are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. This is how Nehemiah is praying to God. This is how Nehemiah is thinking and communicating. Nehemiah, chapter 2, verse 8. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he might give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. Let's ask for big things. Let's believe God for big things. Let's not be intimidated to ask God to do things. Let's not, don't worry about being presumptuous. God can communicate that to you. If if this is not God's will, he can tell us that. He's good with that. Let's not be afraid to ask God for great things for his kingdom. Let, let's not be afraid to ask God for big things for people, that we could see the glory of God manifested in people's lives. And here we see here in, in, in the ninth and the last example that I could find, maybe there's more, and this is Nehemiah 2.18, and I told them of the hand of my God that had been on me for good. I love this. And also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, what did they say? What do they say? Let us rise up and build. So they strengthen their hands for the good work. And there's four actions here that are described. And I'm going to close with this. There's four things 
that are described in Ezra 7 verse 10 that, that we see of how Ezra experienced the good hand of God in his life. And this is the application. This is the part that I want us to take home and apply by, our faith, uh, by faith in our life. Ezra comes to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him in Ezra 7 verse 10. For because Ezra did four things, prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel the statutes and judgments. There are four things here that Ezra does and he's, and he's, he's able to experience not just the theory and the doctrine of God's good hand, but he, to see it translated into every day of his life. Number one, he prepared his heart. I want to prepare my heart for God just to do beautiful things in your lives this summer and this fall and in this church and in Magnolia and in the woodlands and in this area in Little Rock and in, in, in Waco. I mean, the sky's the limit. Like prepared, Ezra prepared his heart. You know something, prepare your heart. Just take time in the morning, say, Lord, I want to prepare my heart to receive something from you today. I don't want to live in my old frame of reference about experiences that I've had in my past or that I'm living in today. I want to prepare my heart. Prepare your heart. Prepare your heart. Remember that? That was the message of John the Baptist. Prepare ye the way for the kingdom of God is at hand. Prepare your heart. And I think when you and I, when we are a church of prepared hearts, then the Lord is, the Lord is, 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 is there and ready to pour out the goodness that he has. Number two, pursue. That's the second thing that he did. He pursued. He pursued. He, he set, he, he, he set, he, he's, he pursued in seeking the law of the Lord. And I think, how does the law of the Lord translate for us as a New Testament believer? What is the new law of the Lord in the New Testament? The royal law of love, right? Like, when we, when we, when we pursue that royal law of love, loving one another, laying down our lives for one another, not seeing each other after the flesh, pursuing, he sought out, he pursued the goodness of God. He pursued it. Number three, and to do it. And that, in, this, in this, third, this third word, I would say, is he performed it. What does that mean? He just walked in faith. He walked in faith in the goodness of God. He walked in, in, in pushing against what he saw, believed against hope, like what, what Abraham saw, and he, and he walked in faith. You know something, what was, who was Abraham? I love Abraham because he was not a mighty warrior. He was not a guy, he was not a politician. He was not a guy that conquered lands. He was a wanderer with his family, and God told him, walk, walk the breadth, every, the north, south, east, west. walk the land, and everywhere you put your foot, this is land that I'm giving to you. He walked by faith in the goodness of God. And lastly, Ezra professed. He just spoke faith. His confession was a, faith of, was a confession of faith. I believe that it shall be according to as God has said, right? Paul said that in the midst of a shipwreck when people were going to, felt like they were going to die. I just think that we can talk, we can speak faith, we can say, I believe that I shall see the goodness of God in the land of living and to teach statues and judgments. That's what, that's what Ezra did. He taught teaching systematically, living systematically, professing systematically, the goodness and the kindness of God. And I think that, that those four things are what, um, what brought Ezra to a place to see the hand of God, the good hand of God move in his life. So this brings us back to the beginning of what Martin Luther said. This is true faith, a living confidence in the goodness of God. 
So I just want to, I want to, I want to encourage you and I this week, what we do in the next several weeks. This is summer. A lot of churches, a lot of people just say, well, you know, like everybody's away and this is going to be a hard. I don't want to live like that. I want to just think in the goodness of God. I want to walk and and I want to live every day prepared to be surprised by the uncompromising or the uncomprehending goodness of God. And is that a verse? It's like, I want to be, God, surprise me today by your goodness and by your grace. Surprise me because I have no capacity to believe right now. Just surprise me, you know. And, and I think that, guess what? The devil always says, you know what? If you don't do it my way, you're not going to have it. But guess what? God surprises us with things that we would have never, ever imagined. One day, like, something happens, we're here at this point, and then suddenly we're in this good plan of God. Amen? And so let's live every day that way, where we are just seeking and we're looking for that, looking for the mercy of God, looking to be surprised by the grace of God. And say, Lord, do something so that you could be glorified. Lord, do something awesome. And when we pray for people, Lord, do something in that person's life. That they could be, that they could see the glory and the goodness of God, and I, I just want to segue right into just a time of prayer.